Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. You know, we have someone courageous on here today who's going to share her personal story. And I always appreciate when there's a guest on who's willing to open up and talk about what they went through. Because there may be somebody listening who hears this today and relates, so they don't feel so alone. And it may inspire someone to take the first step to getting help. Or someone else may understand more about what their loved one who has an eating disorder diagnosis is going through. Or it may help someone to have the hope that they too can recover. And I sincerely hope that this story helps you in some way. Now, that being said, let me introduce Ronnie Robinson. Ronnie is a member of the sandwich generation. She's the tired lunch meat layered between two children and aging parents. She is a writer and indoor cycling instructor who lives in eastern Pennsylvania, where she lives with her husband in their second year of empty nesting. Ronnie's passion is helping others who are struggling with eating disorders. She also does public speaking about eating disorders and emotionally abusive relationships. She wrote a book, Out of the Pantry. It's her debut memoir chronicling her 30 years of binge eating and compulsive overeating and her journey to recovery. All right, Ronnie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Christina. Well, you know, as we were talking earlier, I so appreciate people that come on and they're willing to share their journey, their story, because it really uh, does meet part of my mission for doing the podcast, which is to break all these myths out there about eating disorders and to help people that are listening who maybe they don't even know they really have an eating disorder or really um, are questioning, gosh, am I the only one that does this or thinks this? (laughs) Um, But hearing other people and their stories I think it really helps people to understand, like, I'm not alone or, hey, what I'm doing, okay, I can get help for this or there's some hope out there for me. So I really, really appreciate that you're here. Um, and I know you've written a book about all of this. It's been out for a couple of years and your audiobook just came out. So um, would you mind just sharing, you know, with the audience, with me um, about, you know, maybe your journey, your path, where this all started for you? Sure. Um, uh, I think this all began when I was about about nine years old. Um, I come from a house that wasn't very warm and fuzzy or connected or emotionally supportive. Um, and this is all talking from hindsight, from therapy. So at the time, of course, everything seemed normal to me. That was my normal world, right. um, you know, not um not a lot of um talking about anything really serious or about feelings um and when i was like i said when i was about nine um i my job was you know one of my chores was when my mother came home from the supermarket on friday afternoons 
was to help her unload the packages. And then she would put the groceries and I would put them away. So, you know, I'd always see, um, you know, there'd be like the chips ahoy, or am I allowed to, am I allowed to say, sorry, am I allowed to say names of food or is that like a problem? No, um, that's fine. I just don't have triggering for numbers and things like that, like things on labels. So, um, you know, I, if anyone's triggered by certain foods, um, that, that usually isn't something that I find people, um, you know, and I don't know about you. Did you ever get triggered by specific names of foods? I didn't. Yeah. And but that's just me. Yeah. No, but I appreciate that. And, um, I think that's something for anyone listening, you know, um, being aware of what your triggers are. So if there happens to be anything said on this podcast that is triggering, just kind of be mindful of that and definitely, you know, DM me, let me know. Um, but I haven't found that that specific names of certain foods has been triggering. No. Okay. I just wanted to, to be sure. Um, so we, I would see, say the chips ahoy and, you know, mental note, Oh, we've got cookies. And the next day I would have some. Um, and in time I would, you know, take out whatever cookies were my mom bought that probably were on sale that week. And then the next day when I would go to have some, they weren't there. Um, so my mom started hiding cookies from me um, and didn't say a word, not, Hey, Ronnie, I'm a little concerned about any, you know, whatever. Um, nothing, no talking. They just disappeared. And after a couple of weeks of me, like searching, like really like a ninja, like searching the house everywhere, never could find them. And I went to my mother. She, I remember vividly, she was sitting at the kitchen table, reading her book, which is a very common way to find her. And I said, mom, I, can't find the double stuff Oreos. And she would just sort of like shrug her shoulders and look, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and look back at her book. And to give a little background in my house, my father was very loud and um, very domineering. And he was never wrong about anything in his whole life. Um, his poop didn't stink. I mean, he was just one of those people who never did or said anything wrong. And he never said like the words, I'm sorry, you know, never came out of his mouth because he was never wrong. There's nothing, you know, to apologize for. And my mother would ultimately back down in any kind of argument or discussion with him because he was just never wrong. So that's what I saw modeled for me all this time. So when my mother like sort of shrugged me off, you know, through modeling from her, I was just like, well, okay, um, that's the way it is. And this isn't something I can further discuss with her. So um, it didn't take long for me to start, um, you know, back in those days, I'm like 54, um, you know, you, kids were allowed to do what, you know, we were allowed to walk anywhere and it wasn't a problem. Um, so we lived around the corner from a, a supermarket and I would take like my allowance money or birthday money and I would get like a one pound bag of M&Ms and I would bring it back to my house um, with nobody home. And I would just sit in front of the television and eat the whole bag and thought nothing of it. Um, and I wasn't doing it on purpose. It just, I wanted them and I got them. And I would, you know, take the pack, the, the wrapper, and I would, um, you know, put it into the shopping bag that I got it from at the store and then like shove that down into the trash can so nobody could see it. And I did that for 
any food you can imagine, whether it was ice cream or donuts or any, you know, any candy, cookies, cakes that I bought from the store, I would get it and eat the whole thing in one sitting and then hide it. And nobody ever said anything to me. So I was clearly, you know, getting away with it. Um, and, you know, as the years got by, went on, you know, I would babysit. And then that was like this whole other great thing because I would like raid their refrigerator and raid, you know, but always leaving. I never had like certain rules. Like I would never finish something, you know, if there was a, a plate, again, I'll just use the cookies as an example, a plate of cookies. I would never take a last one. I would, I would, um, take, um, a few or however many I could, thought I could get away with. And like rearrange the cookies so it looked as though they maybe couldn't tell, you know, in my head, they couldn't tell that I had some because I rearranged the plate and nobody, you know, nobody would know. Um, and, you know, and then I got older and then I could drive and I used to work at a, um, at a Burger King. And, um, you know, people always say, oh, my God, if I worked, you know, at an ice cream shop, I would be so sick of ice cream. Yeah, well, that wasn't the case with me um, at Burger King. Um, I would, when the manager wasn't around, I would make a whole thing of French fries for myself and form in the bin. And I'd be pretending to straighten things up around the fry bin. And I, I would eat the whole thing. And like at no, you know, I would hope nobody would see me and I would look around. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just no problem. I would down the whole thing. Um, so a lot of, um, you know, uh, bad habits that I had picked up. And I, I never talked to anybody about it. Um, I, it was just like my secret and that's just what I did. And it went on for a very long time. Um, I, I won't bore you with the details, but I got into, um, when I was 19, I got into a relationship, um, that the man was, um, uh, emotionally abusive towards me. And, you know, again, in hindsight, I know I was perpetuating, exactly what was modeled, you know, in my house was, you know, a, a domineering um, husband and a meek wife who took it. I mean, this, this guy would um, just as a, um, uh, for instance, I mean, just, we were only dating for like two months in the summer. I was between my freshman and sophomore year at college and I was going to go back to college. And he said, well, you need to come home every week. And, and I'd say, well, I'm going to, I want to go to football games and I want to have fun with my friends and my roommates. And he'd say, well, if you do that, we're going to break up. And like most women, I would, you know, who would say, well, screw you. <laughs> I'm doing my thing. I was like, okay. You know, and I came home every weekend or, um, which I did every weekend, didn't tell my parents, even though we lived in the same town, it was like a big town. So my, I was so embarrassed. I would never tell my parents that he convinced me to do this. Um, he also, um, he had a horrible temper. He would like punch a wall, punch through it, break his hand and made me swear not to tell anybody what happened. And we'd make up some story that we both agreed on that he fell on the ice or, you know, some story. Um, he once, um, the most physical thing he ever did was taking my shoulders and pushing me against the wall and pushing me up a wall and then like screaming in my face. Um, and just a lot of other just, um, gaslighting with nobody's going to love you like I do and you know all those kinds of things and I had because of my childhood um I had no self-esteem I had no self-confidence no self-esteem no sense that I what I deserved and what I didn't deserve um again based upon what my mother modeled for me um and then once again just throwing out there this is all in hindsight right that I have this great knowledge um 
luckily, thank God, we were we were off we were together off and on for about eight years, married for a year and a half of that, and then thank God, I finally, I like to think of it as growing a backbone, and I left him. Um, but through that, one of the things that was good about him is that, well, good for my eating disorder, my eating disorder brain was that he was like an eating buddy. Um, he loved also to eat tons of food. So um, that was great. Um, and he never questioned. Um, I still hid, hid it from him um, a lot, but we did eat together sometimes. So at least it was acceptable in front of him. But my other eating was all very secretive and very well thought out and very planned. You know, I'm going to go here and I would like spend days um, deciding where I was going to go, what I was going to get. And, um, just, you know, like for a Saturday, and that would be my Saturday was going from this place to that place to that place and getting this and this and this. <clears throat> and, you know, obviously my hunger cues, I had no, that meant nothing to me. Um, or my fullness cues meant nothing to me. Um, I was so completely out of touch with them. I just wanted it. It was like, I had a, um, you know, like a switch that just went into the on position and I, couldn't control just the fact that I had to keep putting food in my mouth. Um, no rhyme or reason. There wasn't, um, oh, my parents, you know, I would never, you know, realize that this was from my childhood and, you know, all this healing that I needed to, to ne have done and so forth. I didn't realize that. Um, and what my husband or boyfriend, um, some of that was definitely emotional eating because we would get into a fight and then I would you know, end up leaving and I would get, you know, the stereotypical pint of ice cream, you know, or the chocolates. Um, anyway, so left him, that was done. Um, thank God. And, um, found, I uh, went on a blind date and long story short, married to the greatest guy on the planet for maybe 25 years in September, um, two beautiful, healthy children. Um, and even, even 10 years in our marriage, even though I had the more than the such a great life and so much more than I could have ever imagined um, growing up just because of this man's kindness. And we just laughed so much. We were so compatible. It was just so nice. It's obvious there's so much emotion there. I mean, I'm watching it now that audience can't see you, but <laughs> I mean, my goodness, right? To, to go from this household where you obviously were given such negative messages about yourself and then to go right into this abusive toxic relationship and you know so much secrecy so much of yourself was hidden and you were hiding so much of everything you were feeling and doing and what went through my mind was how on earth did you get out of that like wow that's amazing like I, you know and I know you did there's a lot to probably get into that you've learned about how you were able to do that but that is amazing because I know that is so difficult and most people can't even do that at all. They just stay. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, it, it wasn't an easy road, um, but I'm so proud um, and happy, obviously, that I got out of that. Um, and um, yeah, so 10 years into this great marriage, I'm still binging and I'm still compulsively overeating and still doing all of this in secret. Um and there wasn't any, I, I don't think, um, you know, with um, drug addicts or alcoholics, you know, other people who have other addictions, I mean, because in my mind, the binging and compulsive overeating is on par with, you know, 
you have to have alcohol. You'll do anything to get it. You plan how you're going to get it. Um, and you know, there's just all this scheming and planning. You don't want anybody to see you. And the same thing with drugs, right? I mean, it was the same thing with food. It was, um, all the secrecy. And, you know, I think, you know, as I got older, there was also the shame that was involved. Um, you know, I didn't want anybody to know. And so one day I was, my kids were in bed. I think my husband was out like at a sports event. I'm watching TV and I heard the words compulsive overeater on television. And I don't know whether I had never heard those terms before, or at that moment I was open to hearing it, but I went, I heard them and I was like, huh. And I went to my laptop and I started Googling. And one of the most prominent websites that came up was Overeaters Anonymous. And it says right on the front page, are you one of us? And it had like 15 questions. Do you eat food when you're not hungry? Do you eat alone? Do you eat da, 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 all these questions? And I answered yes to almost all of them. And I thought, as crazy as it sounds, I'm like, wow, one person made a website about this. Like one person understands <laughs> and did this. Like I had just no idea, um, like you and I were saying earlier, that this was a thing, let alone an eating disorder, let alone, you know, like a mental health issue. I had no idea. And it was just unbelievable to me that there was a website for this. And that, you know, somebody created a website about it. I couldn't believe it. So I started, you know, looking through the website and then really doing a lot of research. Um, and, you know, what, how do you get over this? What do you do? And um, I've, I've been a writer since I was like 18 or 19, writing for various newspapers and so forth. So one of my natural outlets is to write. So I sat at my computer and I tapped out um, a letter to my husband, just telling him what had just happened the 30 minutes before just saying, Oh my God, I looked this up and here's what it is. And, and here's what I'm, you know, I read, um, you know, going about going to the meetings and, um, and also through other things that I was looking at is, you know, I found out there were books about this, like who knew and, you know, I, like mine, I suppose, right. So people who have gone through it and came out the other side. Um, and, you know, I learned that, you know, therapy often helps. So I had like, I was armed now with these tools and not to make, not to, this is a horrible like example to use, not to make light of like something like when you get a cancer diagnosis, it, you know, when you throw the kitchen sink at it, right. Cause you, you do not want, got to get rid of it. I was the same way. Like I, I'm not, I don't want this anymore. I want this out of my life. It had been 30 years of binging and compulsive overeating and I wanted it gone. I, you know, was, I was obsessed, right. As you know, I've been explaining, it was just like, so much of what I thought about it took up so much of my brain. Um, everything was, you know, when am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? You know? And um, so I tapped out this letter to my husband explaining what I had just discovered. And now here's what I'm going to do. And I ordered this book and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to start going to meetings. Um, and I, I stayed up late until he came in and I handed him the letter when he walked in the door and he could see that I was crying it was just so emotional. I mean, I remember typing and I was just crying tears and I couldn't even say why. I think it was just such a, a such a, um, oh God, I can't think of the word, but, um, um, oh my God, not eye opener isn't enough to, to explain it, but just 
just, it was just shocking to understand now that this was an actual thing, right? That I was doing, it had a name, there were other people, excuse me. And that was just like amazing to me. So it just, it just, I couldn't even control, just brought forth all this emotion. I think it was starting to get cathartic, right? Like, wow, somebody gets me out there. Um, So I fully expected him to read the letter and be like, well, okay, you have a nice life. I'm taking the kids and good luck with that. Um, But of course, because he's just a wonderful human being, you know, he held me tight and said, I love you and we're going to, I will help you and however I can. And which of course made me cry even more. And um, so I, what I ended up doing was um, like a four prong, say like a four prong attack. I did start go to OA meetings. Um, I went to therapy. I was reading books about it by other memoirs, um, other people who wrote memoirs. And I also started an anonymous blog. Um, So just real quickly, one at a time, um, the blog was, again, as a writer, it came very naturally to me to just, you know, brain dump all these things that I'd been thinking and feeling and do you do this and do you do that? And, you know, and, and getting, you know, the cyber world, you know, as you know, it's just, it can be so um, supportive. So I found a lot of other people like me, I was able to support them as I was moving along in my recovery. And it was a great, you know, kind of give and take thing. Um, I went to um, meetings uh, where I remember, you know, the first couple that I went to, they say, go to five just to see what they're all like and find, you know, the ones that you prefer or like the best, feel the most comfortable. And I remember the first three were like, tons of people. And I still, I didn't feel any connection. I didn't feel anything. Um, and then the fourth one I went to, uh, was a smaller group. And I remember they were in, I think like the classroom in a, in a church and they were sitting in a circle and I was like, pulled my seat back a little bit. Cause I wasn't quite, you know, kind of into it. And I felt a little timid and, um, when people started sharing things, um, and I related to things and it, resonated with me, even just like a little nugget from, you know, everybody, there's always something that you can relate to. And even though all our backstories are different, um, and I, you know, just got really emotional because yet again, I was discovering I'm really not alone. Look at these people, this, these people, these men and women, and they were, um, heavy, they were thin, the different, you know, economic status, um, and I remember at the end uh, of the meeting, everybody held hands and there was some saying that they all um, said, you know, that they knew from doing it many times. And it was, well, the end of it was welcome home, welcome home. And I remember that just like hit me so hard because that, that was home. That was, they were my people. Um, I found my home where everybody there understood and everybody got this obsession. Um, the next meeting I went to, because I knew I wanted, I'm, I'm a rule follower, so it was try the fifth one. So I did. And that one was even a little smaller. And I felt at home there. And for the very first time, I spoke up. You know, we went around and everybody shares. I was like, you know, my name is Ronnie and I'm a compulsive overeater. And it was like, I said it, right? Um, and that was, I didn't follow the OA steps. Um, I, that didn't feel right to me. What felt right to me was going to therapy. So I did go to that and, um, you know, 
very long story short about therapy, it was amazing. Just amazing. We were able to dig back um, and find out that it it was my parents' dysfunction um, as individuals and then their dysfunctional marriage um, and my mom hiding cookies and all of these things told, you know, little Ronnie, um, you're not worthy um, and you're not important and you're not special. And those were the unknowingly, of course, I didn't know that those were the message they were sending me. Um, but those were the messages that I, as a little girl, right, I internalized and it came out as, you know, me eating um, a lot of food. That was, so I guess, you know, in hindsight, we learned that food was love for me um, and that I could get and that that was always going to be there for me. Um, and um, yeah, I learned just that my childhood was dysfunctional and it was traumatic for me, even though to me, that was normal, right? That was all I knew. I mean, you know, I had other friends and, you know, I would meet their parents, but, you know, not living with somebody you really can't, you really can't tell. But um, yeah, so the therapy was so, so huge. And I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Um, that's what helped me, like I said, dig down to what, where the problems stem from, what those messages were, what the problems were, what those messages then became internalized in me. Um, and then to learn to kind of unlearn them, right? To process it all and then attack them. You know, all these things that I didn't even realize that I felt, you know, one by one attacking these things that I had felt about myself. <clears throat> and that was just humongous. Um, you know, and I learned that food, eating the food now, like, why am I eating the food over something that happened, you know, 30 years ago? Um, but it was just embedded in me. Um, and yeah, and the other thing was just, you know, reading a lot of books and getting inspired by other people who, you know, had, you know, obviously we all have different backstories, but, you know, the same kind of story and the hope of recovery, which, you know, it's like in my book, I'm hoping I want to give people hope, you know, to kind of put my hand back in the fire for, you know, people who are still struggling and, you know, pull them out because like, I'm nobody special. I don't have any special powers. Um, you know, I'm like the girl next door. And if, you know, I can recover, um, I feel, you know, most people can. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think that kind of does it. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm 14 and a half years recovered now. Um, food is fuel. Um, yes, it's a treat sometimes. Um, I don't, nothing is eliminated from my diet. Um, not diet. I hate that word. Um, nothing's eliminated from my food intake. Um, I eat, you know, I eat mostly intuitively what I feel like eating. I'm much more mindful. Um, oh, I'm getting full, you know, back in those times, fullness meant nothing to me. You know, I mean, I would see a friend, you know, I'd be out somewhere and somebody would be eating the dessert and they'd be like, I'm full and push it away. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, right. Who does? How in the world do you push that away? It's so good. Like, I couldn't fathom that. And now I do understand. I get it. You know, I, I too can be like, you know what? Let's take this home in a doggy bag. I really, I'm getting a little full and I don't want to feel stuffed. I don't like that feeling. And, you know, I'm going to take it home in a doggy bag. Um, so food is just way, way on the back burner for me. I realized that probably that eating disordered voice is always going to be there to some extent waiting for, 
you know, the, my armor to break, you know, all this strength that I built up over this time. But, you know, I'm going to do my damnedest that I never hear from that voice again. Um, yeah, so just my whole, so much of my world um, opened up, you know, because my brain was, you know, so much of it was all about the food. So now it allowed me to um, get into other things. Um, I got heavily into triathlon. I'm a three-time Ironman finisher. Um, and uh, I, I, one of the things that I really regret most about the eating disorder was I would be at parties and I would just give cursory hellos, how are you to friends? And then I'd be off the, the dessert table. And that was all plotting and scheming and vulturing around the table. And my whole night was consumed by the dessert that was out. And I didn't get to know people. And, you know, that's probably my biggest regret was that I, I didn't give myself that chance to, to learn about people more. And, and quite honestly, I was, um, I didn't feel great about myself. I was like, what, what, what do I have to say? Who wants to, you know, who, I don't have anything special to say. Who's really, you know, who's going to be interested in talking to me anyway. Um, but you know, so many of the things that you brought up, I, you know, as I'm listening to you, it's, um, you know, I think that's such a normal experience of people not really knowing that what they're doing is something, right? It's just your right. normal life. And then right. like light bulb moment of like, wait a minute, like, I don't even know how much I'm struggling or suffering or how much my life is just like white knuckling. And it's almost, I don't, it sounds like you just had this, like, we call it like the emergency phase of like, you're just like in this mode of like, oh my gosh, like that's what this yeah. is. And like, you just, like you said, you wanted to just be done with it. And, but as you're doing that, like all of this information is coming in at you and it's overwhelming, right? Oh and, yeah. Um, but I'm so glad for just hearing your story, like that your husband oh. had such an amazing response to you because, you know, for anyone listening, who's actually opened up to people, that's not always their experience. And that can be even worse because then it's, you know, the eating disorder voice already puts in so much doubt and shame and all these awful things, right? And um, the fact that he was so supportive and open with you as you were opening up for the first time, even to yourself. Um, yeah. Because I always say you're as sick as your secrets. And so the first time your secret is coming out in a big way to yourself, to him, to the world, as you're going to this group, um, you know, I I was so relieved to <laughs> for two things about your experience with a group. One is I love group, group in general, because I think when people go to group, they do feel normal. Hearing other people, even if you sit back and don't say anything, hearing other people, even on this podcast, like you, you know, you're talking about your experience and your symptoms and everything you went through. I'm sure there's people listening going, yes, me too. Nodding their head, like, yes, yes, yes. Right. There's something powerful about that. Just listening and relating and going, oh, okay, I'm not the only one doing this, right? So there's right. that too. But then in that experience of opening up and again, letting your secret out for the first time, there's something powerful about that. Um, but I'm also glad for my own, <laughs> in my own experience of all these years of doing treatment and therapy that you, you went to therapy um, instead of oh, seeing yeah. an OA because I have my own opinions about <laughs> the whole step process with that because it is very rigid and 
I think personally, you know, I think that that can perpetuate some of other eating disorder behaviors with the restriction and things. So I'm glad you went to the therapy route. Um, But I'm glad you did have that experience with being in a group of people that you went, oh, okay. Yeah. These behaviors aren't just me. Right. You sought treatment and you went to these, you know, the belong too. another way to release your secrets and get more support in the reading. Again, another route of learning more about what you were doing, your illness and realizing, hey, you know what? Other people out there, they've experienced this, they've gone through this. And that sounds like it instilled more hope for you too. Kept you kind of motivated and didn't get you down the rabbit hole. I I don't know. You probably had moments where maybe you did, but sure. I think that helps for sure. Yeah. I think any of those things that I did between reading and being in group, um, everything is just a little bit healing, right? And any bit more that your secret is coming out and that you're finding that you're not alone, that's all, you know, and hearing things resonate to me, I felt just a little bit of healing, you know, um, you know, and all of that kind of adds up. I mean, I was someone who was, you know, eating food out of trash cans and off of, um, you know, I would clear a table and when my back was turned, I would eat off their plate. I would eat food out of the kitchen sink. Um, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, tons of people have done that, but I was like, oh my God, I'm so mortified, you know, um, if they only knew, if anybody saw what I was doing, um, you know, and I also, um, I, I lied, but not, I don't think anyway, maybe I'm kidding myself, but not in a harmful way. Like if my husband and I before, you know, in the first 10 years, um, we had a party and he would be, you know, walking guests out and saying goodbye, God bless him. He's the social butterfly, you know, out of the two of us. And I'm more like, let me get this task done. Um, I would, you know, be sitting there with the desserts and I would eat them and eat them. And then, you know, my husband would come in and go, oh, you know what? I wanted to have a piece of that chocolate cake. They said it was good. Oh, um, I I threw that away. You know, I put it down the garbage disposal. So I lied to him, but I don't know that it was like, you know, a harmful lie for him that he'd be like, what? You know, like finding out years later, um, and I think we, we, we did talk about that. And he said, you know, in hindsight, he never, he never knew, right. I was that great at hiding it at that point. Um, he had no idea. And that if, if I had lied to him, you know, about the chocolate cake is gone, he didn't care. And he just, he understood anything that I did and just keeping it from him was the sickness. It wasn't me. Um, you know, the person he fell in love with trying to keep information from him, you know, something that was important to our relationship or that was important for him to, to know about me. He understands that I didn't tell him because I was sick, you know, and, and I didn't know any better. I didn't, I, I, I couldn't do anything more than that in my illness. Yeah. It, so, you know, all those things, it's examples you're giving. I think that's, what I find is so hard for people that come in to see me for help too. And and things like that were hard for me. And when I went for help is, oh my gosh, I'm not going to tell this to my therapist or say this in group. Like I'm already ashamed of it enough. I don't want to admit it to myself. If I say this out loud, are they going to judge me and criticize me? Like no way. But it was so great when somebody else said it 
those things that I was so ashamed of. It's like, oh, it almost was like permission to open up. It was like, okay, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, it was so freeing, right? And 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 weirdly empowering. Um, you know that you could okay. I got, you know, it isn't just me and I can move, I've let this out and, you know, and, and I'm empowered to keep moving forward now, you know? Right. So just the fact that you're on here vulnerable saying these things that, you know, I know I even have patients now, I'm sure that are so afraid to tell me things just like those things you mentioned. And, and I just, I wish anyone listening, like I wish it was easier to overcome that fear of being judged and, you know, to let out all those things that you're hiding and fearing that people are going to judge you for, because that's your illness. Like you said, that is the illness that's keeping you sicker. Um, right. Ed, right. The Ed voice in your head telling you, you can't say that you can't let anyone know. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Um, right. It's not you that's doing that. It's the illness. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm not sure. I mean, I'm also um, I'm starting in the coaching realm. I'm getting um, my certification to be a you know eating disorder recovery coach. I'm not. I I, I feel like at this age or my own um, you know I don't feel like I, I want to go back to you know all the schooling and whatnot that you had. But I can definitely be a coach, right? I mean, I've been there, done that. I can relate. Um, I can certainly listen. I can certainly offer advice. I don't have clinical you know, skills that you do, but I, I feel I can definitely help people. And I have been doing that, um, for, you know, a few years now since, um, my book came out and I've written a bunch of other articles about the topic. I've had like so many people, so many friends and even strangers, you know, from Instagram would DM me or people would, you know, message me on Facebook and, oh my God, I could have written this myself or, oh my God, we must have the same mother. Um, which, you know, I feel, you know, exactly what we were saying, like, hopefully telling my story is going to, you know, much like hearing stories like mine helped me. I hope that, you know, people hearing my story helps them. That you know, <laughs> makes yeah. sense. Um, and I feel like it's my, you know what, maybe, maybe I had to go through all of that because I'm meant to help people, you know, help with their struggles. Maybe, you know, because you try to go, well, why did that happen to me? You know, why was I in this shitty relationship, this marriage, um, and maybe to so appreciate my, my husband now of 25 years that, you know, what I have appreciated him when I met him and was dating him, if I hadn't gone through and saw, you know, just the complete opposite of that. Um, and, you know, unfortunately I still, to this day, um, I still not on a big way, but in a little way, I still kind of struggle with feeling that I'm worthy of him. Like he's just such a great guy. And, and just such a good person. Um, you know, and I feel like, Oh, I've all this baggage and, you know, what am I, what am I giving to this relationship? You know, am I worthy of him? You know? Um, but, but and I've even, you know, I'm very honest and I've told him that. And he's like, Ronnie, like you have no, I could name so many things that you have brought to this relationship and given to me and how, you know, he says sweet things like what a great mom I am and, and so forth, you know? So um, I'm, I'm whittling away at that worthiness and that insecurity. But unfortunately that's like my first go-to is, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not deserving of this or, you know, I'm not, how, how did I, my luckiest thing was that 
he proposed to me, you know, that he fell in love with me and proposed to me. I'm so lucky, you know, it's not, you know, if he'll say that, I'm like, no, 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 it's not you, it's me, honestly. I'm the one who's really lucky. Um, but um, yeah, so that's still, you know, we're all works in progress, right? So that's something I still need to, um, you know, work on my confidence a little bit, but I'm getting there. <laughs> and again, thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable because I think, you know, that it's hard to just open up and talk about the things people are still struggling with. You know, every, like you said, people are still works in progress. And, um, but, you know, I do really appreciate that you are instilling hope in people saying, you know, look, look at all I went through and I'm in recovery. And, you know, if I could give you something too, is like, you know, when you say like, you know, I know the voice is back there somewhere at, I kind of look at it like, you know, what the voice has said to you in the past and how strong it was. And that doesn't mean it's going to come rearing back one day. It just means, you know, what your life was like before, before you used food as fuel and nutrition. And before you were intuitively eating and fueling your body for, you know, fuel and nutrition and how it felt to choose all foods. Right. Um, Yes. And so you just have that awareness, like when you were sick and the illness was taking over your life, but you're here now. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you're saying that. It, that it, it just really puts it in a, in a nice light. I appreciate that. Thanks. And that's going to help with your coaching too. You know, like you, you know what it's like when you're not recovered. I sure do. <laughs> you you can't forget you went through it all, um, but that doesn't mean you're going to go back there. No, nope. I'm not going back there. Not going back there. No. Um, so if people want to find you on Instagram, read your book, get your audio book. How, how can they find you and all of that? Oh, um, well, I have a, a website, um, ro- just www, my name, Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I, Robinson.com. Um, I'm right in the middle of process of, of, um, switching that over to also include my coaching, but right now it's my book, my book, my book. Um, and that's on, um, Amazon in, um, the three formats. I'm, I'm on Instagram at, um, Ronnie Rob writes, um, got a Facebook, um, you know, Facebook writer page and a Facebook regular personal page. Um, you could always private message me or DM me, um, on Instagram. I'm, I'm, I'm sure much like you, Christina, I'm always happy to help. I'm always happy to listen. Um, and I'm so excited to finish my coaching certifications so I can, you know, give back, um, in that way as well. Awesome. And don't worry if you didn't get all that down, all of that will be in the show. (laughs) People will find you. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And I'm sure the listeners do too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find 